Lord God, thank you for Sam. Thank you for the message that you have put on her heart to share. And Lord, I just ask that you would bring to her mind all the things that you've brought to her mind during the week and that you would just help her to speak clearly and boldly and that we will have our hearts and our lives impacted, Lord, as you speak to us through her. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Um, My name's Sam, if we haven't met before, and um, I've been part of this church for, I've lost count, I think it's 21 years. Um, I'm married to Mark, and together we look after the creative ministry of this church and young adults ministry. And um, I feel like the message that I've prepared this morning um, has come from the journey that I've been on in my own life over the last couple of months. And so as much as I um, pray that God will speak to you this morning, um, I also really feel like I'm preaching to myself. Um, We've heard some difficult news this morning. We've heard of people that are going through difficult seasons. And um, no doubt you've probably found yourself in a tough season, a time where everything that just seems to be going wrong, that one thing after another happens and life feels really, really tough. And maybe you found yourself quoting, when it rains, it pours. Mark and I have been in a season like that over the last three months. We've personally had to deal with some pretty serious health issues. We've grieved the death of a loved one. We've waited um, in anticipation for the safe arrival of a baby of a family member when the pregnancy was high risk and we weren't sure whether the baby was going to make it, but she did. We've faced business challenges and we've supported dear friends who are walking a difficult season. Sometimes life is really hard. King David was a man who understood difficult seasons. One of the first um, periods of hardship in the life of David came when he was relatively young. Saul, who was the first king of Israel, had taken David into his court. But after David had defeated the giant Goliath, Saul begins to become really envious of David's popularity. And so out of his jealousy, he starts to plot to have David killed. And David finds himself in this place where he's on the run from his king, having to live years on the run. Then later on in David's life, he made some really poor choices, didn't he? And those poor choices resulted in some difficult times for him. He committed adultery with with Bathsheba and then he murdered her husband. And although he repented before God and his sins were forgiven, he still suffered the consequences of that sin and of that action. His family was an absolute mess. If you know his story, one of his sons raped his half-sister and then her brother goes out and murders him. And then the murderer, he's banished. And then later on he gets killed And then yet another son attempts to overthrow David as king. And then somewhere in all of that, a relative of Goliath turns up and tries to kill David. When we look at his life, 
he sure had his fair share of difficulties and hardship, hey? And the Psalms are just filled with the writings of how of him expressing what he was going through, of him expressing his difficult seasons and his feelings and thoughts towards them. And one of the Psalms that I want to focus on this morning is Psalm 27. You can help me up the back. This one is on working. The um, verses 2 to 3, 2 and 3, I want to start with. It says, When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. Now, Bible commentaries, um, commentators differ as to when David wrote this. It was either during the time when Saul, King Saul was trying to kill David or it was towards the end of his life. But regardless, look at the words that he uses to describe the situation he's facing. He says, evil people come to devour me. Enemies and foes attack me. A mighty army surrounds me. Wow. What a situation to find yourself faced with. When we find ourselves in times of trouble, in periods of hardship, when things are going wrong, what are some of the things that we ask of God? What are some of the prayers that we pray? I know that during this season for me, over the last couple of weeks and months, I've prayed for physical and emotional healing. I've asked for healing for loved ones and I've asked for wisdom for the doctors who are caring for them. I've asked for the wisdom to make the right decisions and I've asked for financial provision in certain areas. I've asked for peace and protection over my relationships and I've asked for unusual miracles and for God to move in powerful ways. And I reckon that you've probably prayed similar prayers when you've been going through times of difficulty. And they are all perfectly normal, valid, understandable prayers to pray. But what I am absolutely struck by is what comes straight after this verse. Straight after this verse, in verse 4, we get an insight to David's heart. In the next verse, David tells us the one thing that he desires, the one thing that he is asking God for during this difficult and life-threatening season of his life. David lets us in on the thing that he craves most. This is what it says. The one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I want to read the, um, the, the Passion Translation. I've been in the Passion Translation and I just love it. So this is what it says. Here's the one thing that I crave from God, the one thing that I seek above all else. I want the privilege of living with him every moment in his house, finding the sweet loveliness of his face, filled with all, delighting in his glory and grace. I want to live my life so close to him 
that he takes pleasure in my every prayer. What a thing to pray. What a thing to pray. He's got an army surrounding him, trying to kill him. And this is the desire. This is the prayer that he prays. There's three things that I want to pull from this verse this morning, from verse 4. And the first thing is more of a question. I wonder how David got to a point in his life where he desired more than anything else the presence of God and to gaze upon the beauty of God. I want to suggest this morning that what we do during seasons of smooth sailing deeply impact what happens and how we respond during difficult seasons. We first read about David in 1 Samuel 16, and he's the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. He's the great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz. And when Samuel enters the home of David's dad, Jesse, he has the intention of anointing the next king of Israel. Saul is about to finish up. His time is starting to come to an end. And Samuel has got the task of anointing the next king, that God's going to point out to Samuel who the next king is. And so he goes into Jesse's house and here are seven brothers, David's seven brothers, lining up, probably all hoping, pick me, pick me. But God makes it really clear to Samuel that none of the boys in the room is the one that I want you to anoint. And so he says to Jesse, is there anyone else? Is there another son? And he said, yeah, well, there's David. There's my, there's my little boy, David, but you know he's out in the field with the sheep. And Samuel says, well, go get him. I need you to go get him. Bring him in. And as soon as he sees David, God says to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Now, we don't know what kind of young man David was. The Bible isn't clear about what he was like as a kid or as a young man, but I imagine that he heard the stories of God's faithfulness, of how God looked after his great-grandmother Ruth. I imagine that he spent his nights talking to this God that he'd heard stories about, thanking him for his provision and for his protection. And I imagine that during the day when he was out in the field with the sheep, that there was a song on his lips, praising God. And although the Bible doesn't give us great detail, I imagine that during those young years where there was little hardship, the metaphorical summer season, smooth sailing season, I imagine that David spent his days drawing close to God, getting to know his character, growing a steadfast relationship with God. And the reason... I believe this to be true is because before David did anything as king, we're told in the scriptures that he was a man after God's own heart. The second point I want to look at this morning is David's desire to dwell in the house of the Lord. What does it mean to dwell in the house of the Lord? In the Old Testament, this phrase is meant quite literally. When Moses led the people in the wilderness and they gathered around Mount Sinai and he came down with the Ten Commandments, they were placed into the ark 
which was housed in a tent. And this tent became known as the house of the Lord. And it was the focus of worship for the early generation of God followers. And then when King Solomon, David's son, built the temple, that ark was then placed within the temple and that became known as the house of the Lord. And for the people of God in the Old Testament, the house of the Lord was where the presence of God dwelt. Now David's deepest desire, as we read in this scripture, was that he would be able to live within that presence of God, to be able to spend all day, every day, in his presence, to be near him, to be so close to him. And what this looks like to me is that David desired to live a life of worship, of coming close, of bowing down, of honouring, of exalting God. And when I think about what that means for us today, all these years on from David, I think it applies to us in two ways. Where we are gathered right now is the house of the Lord. And it is such a blessing. I think Michelle said this this morning. It is such a blessing to be able to gather like this on a Sunday, to be able to gather as his people, to focus together as one our attention on God, to express our gratitude, to express our love, our honour, our reverence to God every week. What a privilege. Can we take that for a second? Because not everyone gets to do this around the world, to be able to gather like this. May we never forget what a privilege this is. I love our Sunday gatherings. And I believe that there's something so powerful and special that happens when we come together like this, when we turn our full attention onto him. But none of us live in this building. Maybe some of the pastors feel like sometimes they live in this building. But we don't live in this physical house of the Lord. And, you know, I think the second greatest thing that's ever happened to the world is the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit coming, and we now have 24-7 access to the great God, to our great God, that he doesn't just dwell in this place, although he does, but he now dwells within us as believers, as New Testament believers. We have access to him. What David longed for in going to the house of the Lord, we've got people. That is so exciting. That's something to be so grateful for. That God is not confined to a physical space, but he has made his presence constantly available to us. And the final point I want us to look at this morning is is David's desire to gaze on the beauty of God. That's a bit of a weird statement, but it's there in in the scriptures. To gaze on the beauty of God. David wanted to see God. David desired to come into the presence of God and to focus on him, to focus on what he's like, the beauty of God. In the Amplified Translation, it says, to gaze upon the delightful loveliness and majestic grandeur of God. These are some 
big words, some powerful words. And, you know, I was thinking yesterday, I don't think we've actually got words in the English language to really describe the beauty and the loveliness of God. God, David wanted nothing more than to be where God was, to worship him and to bow down. For God, the one who created us and redeemed us, he is the ultimate definition of beauty. Now, has anyone ever seen the movie? Well, maybe you could tell me. What movie is this scene from? Anyone? City Slickers. Yes. If you've seen it, you probably know the scene I'm going to talk about. In the movie City Slickers, three guys get together and they go on a manly adventure. Not a ninja adventure, a manly cowboy adventure. And they decided to take a trip to a working ranch and to help move hundreds of cattle. And while they're on this adventure, they meet Curly, which is the guy with the cigarette in his mouth. He's a rough and tough cowboy. And as the story unfolds and a conversation begins between Billy Crystal, his character, Mitch, and Curly, Curly says to Mitch, he asks him if he knows the secret of life. And Mitch answers him, no, I don't. What is it? And Curly um, holds up one finger and Mitch says to him, your finger, is that the secret of life? And he says, no, the secret is one thing, just one thing. Do that and nothing else matters. And then Mitch says, well, what is the one thing? And Curly says to him, that's for you to work out. You know, I think that old Curly may have hit the nail on the head. We are designed to be people of just one thing. David understood what that one thing was. And although he had many other things that occupied his heart at a secondary level, there was just one primary thing that occupied it. God's presence, God's beauty was David's primary focus. And I think that our world is full of Mitches, people who are searching for the secret of life, running around trying to find meaning in the chaos, in the busyness. And I believe that as a church we are living in days where it is absolutely vital for us to not do what Curly did and say, you need to figure it out for yourself. It's absolutely vital that we live out a faith before the eyes of the people that we are doing life with. We live out a faith that is focused on him, that is focused on God. I believe that God is saying to us, his church, that we have allowed our hearts and our minds to be too preoccupied with the secondary level stuff and that he is calling us to be people of focus, people who desire one thing above every other, to be with God, to be in his presence, to focus on his beauty, to delight in his loveliness. Because when we do that, everything changes. We find that we can face those challenging seasons with strength, 
with dignity and, dare I say it, even joy because we have fixed our eyes upon him. I want to read to you Psalm 63, verses 2 to 5, again from the Passion Translation. It says this, I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power and to drink in more of your glory. I'm energized. Who would like to be energized this morning? We don't need coffee to be energized, although I do like it. For your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. How I love and praise you, God. Daily I will worship you passionately with all of my heart. My arms will wave to you like banners of praise. I overflow with praise when I come before you, for the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. The anointing of his presence satisfies us like nothing else. These aren't just nice words in a pretty looking Bible. This is absolute truth. We are energized by his presence. Our souls are satisfied by him when we encounter him. His presence is more satisfying than a nice big tall glass of water on a really hot day. It's more fulfilling than an amazing meal cooked by Dave when you're really hungry. And it's more energizing than taking a power nap. This week, I've personally felt quite emotionally tired. As I've shared, it's been a tough season. And I've had to be really, really deliberate to bring my attention back to God, to regularly make time throughout my day to focus my thoughts upon him, to gaze upon his character, upon his loveliness, upon his beauty. As the scriptures say, to multiple times throughout my day, worship him passionately with all my heart. And as I have, I have been refreshed, I've been restored, I've been renewed, I've been energized, I've been satisfied. And I found that my tiredness has almost been like an alarm clock for me. That when I start to feel tired, I've actually physically heard myself out loud say, I've got to go worship. It's like this alarm clock, I've got to go worship. As soon as I start to feel tired. And as I did this yesterday, I believe that God spoke to me a word for myself. But that once he finished telling me, he said, I also want you to share this with the church because I think it's for all of us. He said to me that we're coming, where we're, the season that we are coming into, we, we need more than just fast food Christianity. We need feasting Christianity. That sometimes it's okay to have those seasons where um, life is busy and so in the busyness I spend a bit of time with God here and a bit of time there. And on the go I'm spending time with God like we do when we're on the go and we need to eat McDonald's because we're busy. Um, but he needs us to focus more time. He's asking us to come away with him, to literally stop. to feast on his words and to engage with his presence and to wait on him. And he showed me empty journals that he wants to fill with life-giving words, that he has so much that he wants to say to us, church, and that he wants us to hear. But we need to be not preoccupied with the secondary level stuff 
but rather be focused on the one thing. Now, I know what you're thinking. Sam, you've got no idea how busy my life is. And you know what? I don't. But I do know how busy mine is. (laughs) And I do know that God is inviting us into something that is so much bigger than our busy lives. And that if we do our bit to make more space for him, that maybe, just maybe, we will find that what he does in those moments will radically change how we function in the busyness. So the invitation, I believe, is before us to create more space, to stop and to gaze and to look at the majesty of heaven. And what better time to start than right now? What we're going to do is I'm going to play a song that I've listened to. I can't really count how many times over the last couple of days. And together I'd love us just to sit, to listen, to come closer, to draw near, to consider him, to focus. Something so powerful about focus on his character, on his loving kindness, on his tender mercy, on his gracious care, on his fatherly love, with no other agenda other than just to make him the one thing. One day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, God. Thank you, Jesus. I feel that if God would like us to respond to him this morning, that as I've shared, that God desires for us to make space to draw near in all seasons. If you would like to stand with me this morning to say yes to that, then I want to invite you to physically stand with me. And I'm going to ask Kath to come up. God, we thank you that you never leave us, that you never forsake us. God, we thank you that when our focus isn't necessarily always on us, that you are always focused on us. And God, we say sorry for the times when we've been too preoccupied with secondary level stuff. But God, I pray that this morning something will shift in Jesus' name. We make a commitment, a physical, by physically standing and saying yes to you, God, to focus our attention, to draw near. God, help us practically to make more space for you, God. And God, I declare in Jesus' name that from this, incredible testimonies are going to come. That you are going to speak words of life and truth. That strongholds will be broken. That healing will come. That freedom in certain areas will be lavished upon us as we stop, as we make room for the King of Kings and as we gaze upon your beauty as we come into your presence and we worship you. God, you are holy, you are mighty, you are powerful, you are so worthy of our praise. We exalt your holy name, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.